This is not the sound of a stream running through the mountains. It's water from a leaking pipe trickling down a stairway. That's not a frog splashing into a lake. It's a piece of sheetrock falling into a puddle on a kitchen floor. And that's not a hiker taking a deep breath of mountain air. It's a homeowner gasping at the sight of a $12,000 water damage repair bill. 40% of homeowners have experienced water damage. Protect your home with the Moen Smart Water Monitor and Shutoff. Moen. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This edition of the BBC Music Magazine podcast is sponsored by Adagio, the leading streaming service for classical music. Discover Adagio's tailor-made search, expert playlists and exclusive recordings for yourself. Visit podcast.adagio.com and enjoy 14 days for free. Welcome to the BBC Music Magazine podcast. I'm the magazine's deputy editor, Jeremy Pound. Before we begin, let's have a quick reminder first about our website at classical-music.com, where you can read all about the latest music happenings, read reviews of thousands of recordings, enjoy our free download of the week, and a good deal more. Plus, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and we have an iPad edition available on the App Store. And to keep abreast of what's happening, sign up to our newsletter via the website. And most importantly, our December issue is out now. Which brings me to our special discount for podcast listeners. All of you can now get 30% off every six issues, which takes the cost to just £25.15. You can claim the offer by visiting buysubscriptions.com slash musicpodcast. So, let's move on with the podcast. With me in the studio, our managing editor... Rebecca Franks and editorial assistant Freya Parr. Hello. Hello. Right, let's begin with some music news. Music, 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 music. 
Well, I'm going to be kicking off the news this month um, with the news that Omer Mayor Welber has been signed as the new chief conductor of the BBC Philharmonic up in Manchester. Um, he follows in the footsteps of Juan Homena and before that, Jan Andrea Nazeda. Now, it's always quite an exciting time when BBC Philharmonic appoints a new conductor because the last two have been absolutely sensational. Jan Andrea Nazeda released a series of fantastic Italian music discs introducing new repertoire and to, to a lot of listeners. And likewise, um, Juan Jomena did with the likes of um, Spanish music, Latin American music. Um, so it'll be really very interesting to hear what Omar Mayer Welber brings to the orchestra. Yeah, do you think he's likely to kind of champion certain repertoire in, in a similar way? Mm. Yes, I think he will do. Um, he himself is Israeli. He's 36-year-old Israeli conductor. And I actually interviewed him about two weeks ago and asked him about his plans. I'm not going to give any spoilers yet because you can read a little bit about it in the magazine. But he said there's a couple of Israeli composers who, um, from they're kind of in their heyday in about the 1960s, 1970s, who he really wants to champion. The music they write, is, it sounds fascinating. It's kind of it's a melting pot of Middle Eastern meets Western classical. Um, and what I have to say about the BBC Phil is whatever seems to be put in front of them, they always do really well, how kind of weird and wonderful it is. So I just imagine it'd be a brilliant match, these two. And I guess they'll carry on recording with Shandos as they've done in the past. So get to hear all the, even if you're not in Manchester, get to hear a lot of the results of that partnership in yeah. a way. One expects so. He'll be arriving in... Um, next year in September, the beginning of the 2019-2020 season. So that'll be a really one to watch out for, I'd say. Mm, fantastic. Right, so on to sadder news, meanwhile. Um, of course, the opera world has been mourning the death of Montserrat Caballé. Tell us about it, Rebecca. Yes, so this is the sad news that uh, the Spanish operatic soprano Montserrat Caballé has died at the age of 85. Um, she was obviously a... Uh, legendary figure in the world of opera and classical music, known for her wonderful bel canto singing in particular. Um, though perhaps not always her acting, which is... Um sort of put there's some wonderful turns of phrases in the obituaries about <laughs> how they've addressed that. And she became known beyond the world of classical music really in 1992. In 87, she had been invited to provide the theme song for the 1992 Olympics um, by the mayor of Barcelona, uh, which she did with Freddie Mercury. Interestingly, you see quite a, people, quite a lot, number of people saying, oh, do you remember Montserrat Caballé and Freddie Mercury at the Barcelona Olympics in 1992, which is a case of sort of selective mismemory because <laughs> Freddie Mercury had actually died the year before. They never actually appeared at the Olympics together, but their mugshot, of course, appeared at the, at the Games. It's sort of become inextricably linked, yeah. But she was a, an absolutely formidable singer, as you say. Um, her mm. recorded legacy was extraordinary. In the 70s, she recorded a, a series of bel canto operas, Bellini and Donizetti, kind of early Verdi as well. Um, and they still test stand the test of time and they're absolute must-haves of any collection. Um, and we're going to play a little bit, aren't we? Yes, so we're going to hear a clip from uh, Verdi's Giovanna d'Arco, Joan of Arc, and this is Sempre al Alba ed alla sera, which is always at dawn and in the evening.
was Montserrat Cavalle in Verdi's Giovanna d'Arca, recorded in 1972 with the Ambrosian Opera Chorus, London Symphony Orchestra, and that's with Domingo and James Levine. Interestingly, Kabai is sometimes kind of pitched in the same bracket as Joan Sutherland and Maria Callas and um, described as a, being a bit of a diva, but I understand that actually she wasn't. I think she was a lot more sort of... Kind of, she was a much more amenable character than some of. It definitely others. sounds like off stage she was a lot more grounded down to earth, and down yeah. to earth <laughs> and kind of love life really, and mm. that was important. And she's certainly a, a, a Catalan hero. She's absolutely kind of revered in Barcelona. Mm. Anyway, if there was a, a list of great singers of the last century, I should imagine she would definitely be on it. Um, but that's not exactly what BBC Radio 3 are going to be celebrating soon. Freya, you're going to tell us all about their Our Classical Century initiative. Yes, an excellent segue, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> so the BBC have just recently announced a year-long celebration of classical music across their TV and radio platforms. Um, and it's a huge project. It's one of the first kind of pan-BBC series they've done to do with classical music. Um, and it's rooted in these BBC Four programmes um, called Our Classical Century, um, in which they explore how classical music has kind of collided with popular culture over the last hundred years, placing the music in its social context and exploring how history and kind of war impacted music and vice versa. Um and that will also be matched then with uh, some programmes on essential classics in which they count down the hundred sort of top moments in classical music over the last hundred years. Um, and they've got some amazing guests and they explore some brilliant pieces. And if you want to look at what they've got planned and all the programme listings, check out our December issue. All of which brings us rather nicely onto the next section of this podcast, this month's magazine. This Right, as Freya was just mentioning just now, um, yes, in our December issue, which is out now, you can get it in the shops, we are focusing on Radio 3's classical century, and that is the century beginning from the end of the First World War in 1918 to the present. Now, how have we approached this subject? Well, what we have done is that we have chosen 20 works which define the century. By that, we mean we trace social, historical and political change over the 100 years and look how that has been reflected on works which were composed at the time. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about it, Rebecca? Yes, so we have all been working away on this, this list of 20 pieces and... It's very much a look at uh, how how music has reflected, as Jeremy was saying, the social change um, in, in the century. So, for instance, one piece that I was doing from more recently was by John Luther Adams, his uh, Pulitzer Prize winning Become Ocean, which is this vast orchestral sort of seascape of a piece. But it's not just um, about kind of evoking the water and the ocean. It actually had this un- sort of environmental um, underpinning. And actually, that, obviously, that's one of the big things facing us now is the impact of climate change. So we're very much looking at pieces that would s- somehow pick up on that and see how artists have reflected that and actually what how they have mirrored our world and how it has changed since 1918. Mm. And we also pick up on kind of 
other issues such as kind of the rise of Nazism, um, Stalinism, long way. It's not all doom and gloom. We've also looked at the kind of the big screen, the, the arrival of big screen favourites, gaming, that sort of thing. It's kind of a view of history of the last hundred years in the medium of music, I think is the best way to put yeah. it. And we've got um, a composer of the month piece this month on um, Kaya Sariaho as well, who features in our in our 20 list, not to give too many spoilers, but um, so, um, and she has explored in the BBC initiative as one of the discovering programmes. So we've got a lovely piece about her work um, as a leading Finnish composer today as mm. well. And one of the pieces we choose for our 20 in this list also features on our cover CD. Tell us all about it, Freya. Yes, so on our cover CD this month, we have Messiaen's, I'm going to say it in English because it's been a long time since I've done my French A-level, it's Quartet for the End of Time. Um, and it's performed by Michael Collins, Isabel Van Curlen, Paul Watkins and Lars Vogt. And we're going to hear an extract from the first movement now. So that was the first movement, Liturgy of Crystal, from Messiaen's Quartet for the End of Time, which is on our cover CD this month. And is a great opportunity to hear one of the works we've featured in our cover feature, um, which explores the 20 works that defined the last century. Incidentally, a clip from Quartet for the End of Time was one of the questions on the music round in University Challenge the other day. I got <laughs> it straight away and I was very pleased with myself. Well done. My family just looked at me with that look of, well, you should know that anyway, you're a music journalist. <laughs> just sub-edited the music <laughs> <Yeah>. on it. <laughs> How, anyway, so... Um, our December issue is not just all about the classical century. We also do other things, and Rebecca's going to tell us about another feature. This is one of my favourite pieces in the December issue. It's a look at forests and music, which is a theme that BBC Radio 3 is exploring this autumn and has been exploring earlier this year as well. And our writer, Malcolm Hayes, has taken a, a very atmospheric stroll through the woodlands and forests and looked at how composers have been inspired by them, how that's changed over the uh, over the sort of past couple of centuries. So he sort of starts uh, early on with when the forests were kind of quite dangerous places in a way and then sort of the Romantic era when they became very important really um, to composers and artists in general and just this kind of real flourishing of music that was depicting the woodlands and takes us right up to the present day. Because mm. the irony is that, as you say, forests went from being this very dangerous place to a place where you went to escape, wasn't it? A kind of a complete yeah. switch at the beginning of the 19th century from this no-go zone to this glorious place where you get away from the industrial world. And that was reflected in music, in music mm. by the lights of Schumann's Waldseinen, which I understand we're about to hear a clip from now. Yes, we are. We're going to hear the, the first movement and it's Marc-Andre Hamelin playing...
So that was Eintritt, or Entry, from Schumann's Waldseinen, which he composed in 1848-1849. And I chose that just because actually it has that real innocence and kind of... Um, sort of simple pleasure of going out into the forest although actually that's not you know the forest becomes a place of many different moods later in this piano cycle and and in music um but that's i thought it was a nice illustration mm. of that yes and in within the piece actually malcolm does bring out all the various moods of the forest and different kind of things it can bring and it includes a light he i actually put malcolm on the spot in a phone call later on and said who do you reckon depicts the forest the best and he said sibelius and i'm not one to disagree with that because sibelius also makes the forest again a place of darkness and danger um such as in his wood nymph piece where this stranger is lured into the darkness of the, of the forest and i think it's very interesting that point where i guess it was with that rise of psychology as well and, and Freud and all that sort of psychoanalysis and the woods and the forest actually sort of almost becomes merged with the idea of the mm. human mind and psyche and sort of being lost in our own minds and these unknown places. Well, it's inspired everything from music to poetry to literature and everything in between. And actually, in the, um, on Christmas Eve on Radio 3, they're doing the winter walk through, I think, Germany, where they're looking at, um, yeah, in a similar way to what Malcolm Hayes is doing, a little walk through forests, and they're exploring poetry that was inspired by the forest as well as music. So that'll mm. be a great listen. Is that part of their slow radio? Yes. It's the conclusion of their big forest project. Mm. Excellent. Right, we're now going to move out of the forest. In fact, we're also going to move out of the studio itself because recently our editor, Oliver Condy, went to Berlin and he spoke to the pianist Igor Levitt about his new album, Igor Levitt Life. Here's what they had to say. Igor Levin, welcome to the BBC Music Magazine podcast. Uh, it's great to... Happy to be here. Great to chat to you. Um, I'd like to talk about the Igor Levitt Life album. Um, and I wonder if you could start by perhaps telling us a little bit about the person who you pay tribute to in the album. Yeah. So um, this album is dedicated to the man who was not just my best friend, but and not just a brother figure, but much, much more than that. Um, and uh, the artist Hannes Malte-Mahler, a friend who, um, who I knew from Hanover. He was much older than I was, but we were very, very close. A, a most outstanding, brilliant artist, a most wonderful human being, a performer, a um, you know, performing artist, a painter, whatever, whatever you want. And Hannes, um, in July 2016, died in a rather bizarre traffic accident, which by all means not just changed my life, but uh, caused the, uh, the experience that I thought whatever I was used to, whatever I thought my daily life was until then was gone. And I was forced to build sort of a new house, which, and this is my feeling, has nothing to do with the old house. And um, over, over the period of uh, around about a year and a half, I had no, no feeling that music helped in any way. Any. I mean, people helped. You know, friends helped. Music did not. And then start beginning with uh, Frederick Schäfke's Mensch, which is directly connected to Hannes. Um, for me, uh, I sort of started to 
think about music, which I thought had something to do with uh, life celebration. Let's put it this way. It's a very private album, and yeah, it's very it painful. Very painful. Was there any sense that you thought you wouldn't release it? You'd make it, but you no. wouldn't release it. No, but I did not feel well after we were done. And I must say that um, my, uh, I mean it, my anger about this uh, accident and about uh, uh, this reality has not become weaker. It's just that the period of time where I don't think about it got longer. How has music helped? None. I mean, how does music help? I can't speak to music, so it doesn't help. People help. I can only I can only dis- try to describe or try to um, sort of paint. Let's put it simple: emotions and uh, uh, with music. But I can't speak to music. So, but did it help channel your thoughts? I yes. mean, there's a variety this, of yes, different reactions here. You've got. I mean, I was fascinated by the transcriptions. Yeah, quite heavy on transcriptions. Yeah, all of them basically are. Every single piece is sort of an aftermath of something else, with no exception. Even the piece piece mm. being this unique, iconic improvisation by Bill Evans is based on several pieces before. I mean, we know the um, flamenco sketches, uh, Miles Davis uh, with Bill Evans, etc. That's, that's, so every single piece is basically like an afterthought. Mm. So... so the variety, can you talk me through the variety of emotions that you've got? Here? Yes. Because you've got sort of this grand standing emotions, you've got very intimate uh, feelings as well. It is a variety of, as you say, sometimes it is about one particular person, like Frederick's Mensch. Sometimes what is being celebrated is the sort of transcendental idea of life, like in Parsifal. Sometimes it is purely the idea of people gathering together like the people outside of this room (laughs) celebrating birthday it is the music about getting lost in yourself being puzzled and mixed up and lost like the ghost variation so it's 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 all you know there are all kinds of varieties but i can only speak to for myself and that's the beautiful thing about music you can listen to it and have in t- totally different feelings about it and I'm just fine with that I will not tell any listener what they must hear mm-hmm. in music I'm against that and so, so how, how do you get, get that sort of interaction between the audience and, and the musician there are many there ways chemistry pos- isn't there the, yeah and there, there, are, there are lots of possibilities you can, you can write something yourself you can speak to them you can uh, you can, for instance, what, what Marina Abramovich and I did in New York, where she forced me, the audience and me, to concentrate before the performance, not sort of separated, me backstage, the audience somewhere, but together in the room of, in the space where the music will, will, will be played, together for 30 minutes in complete silence and darkness. But you concentrate together that was an absolutely unforgettable experience for me. So there are many ways to roam, but um, this is 
what I'm thinking about. I do not think that the, uh, let's say, the, the, the secret of uh, uh, bringing classical music to the 21st century is to tell the audience, well, we will change your life because today you're going to hear Beethoven's Fifth Symphony in the in the kitchen of restaurant XYZ. That is not the way. This is this is this has nothing to do with the music itself. It's sorry for this term. It's dumb, dumb and boring. Mm. So, so I mean, music is uh, you know, you're, you're, I mean, particularly with this album as well, taking music much to a more private experience. Yeah, a much more in, intimate, yeah, inward looking. It does not be. I, I. It does not belong to me. It does not belong to the composer. It does not belong to anyone. It is our all. It belongs to all of us. It is highly democratic, and I will never accept that someone uh, that someone thinks that you you should stand on stage and tell the people what they should hear. I think this is deeply unmusical. Is there an artist that you? have been inspired by that has sort of led you on this path um, Buzoni and of the artists alive I can name a couple yeah Fred Hirsch why particularly yeah Fred Hirsch a wonderful jazz pianist of course um, one of why, the greatest musicians of our time yeah why Busoni? well because freedom of music and freedom of art was basically his thing that's what he wrote about that's what he that was his utopia and um, <clears throat> this utopia of the artist who, who creates his own rules again and again and again and again never never accepts um, some kind of status quo mm. and I feel very close to that feel very connected to that idea Scriabin comes to my mind as well also mm. but I um, I would rather play with only <laughs> Igor Levitt, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Great pleasure. The BBC Music Magazine Podcast. This edition of the BBC Music Magazine Podcast is sponsored by Adagio, the leading streaming service for classical music. Discover Adagio's tailor-made search, expert playlists and exclusive recordings for yourself. Visit podcast.edagio.com and enjoy 14 days for free. So that was our editor, Oliver Condy, in Berlin with the pianist Igor Levitt, which takes us rather nicely into our final section of the podcast, which is our first listen. First Listen is where each of us takes a newly released disc and appraises it and says what we like about it. Simple as that. And we're going to start off this month actually with Rebecca, who has been listening to Igor Levitt's life. Tell us all about it. Well, I think this is quite a remarkable recording, actually, both in terms of its programme and its playing. So Igor Levitt recorded it as a double disc programme after a friend of his was tragically killed in an accident. And he has put together a programme of sort of transcriptions and arrangements by uh, Busoni, uh, music by Schumann, Liszt, uh, Wagner, and 
it's not an easy listen, I would say. <laughs> you know, this is not a kind of uh, the joy of life, a sort of after death sort of programme. It's more about um, transcendence, I would say, and struggle and the strange places that life can take you. But the playing is, it's, it really is a remarkable pianist. I think that's the word that I would use. Um, and I've actually chosen a another bit of Schumann, seems to be a theme, uh, the variations in E-flat major on an original theme, the ghost variations, which were written right towards the end of Schumann's life when he was struggling with his sanity and, and being put into the asylum and sort of believed that this had been, this had been dictated by spirits, this theme. And that's sort of in the middle of the first or towards the end of the first disc in this programme. That was a moment from Igor Levitt's new disc, Life. Now, moving on to my choice, I'm going for a new disc on the Naxos label, which is three concertos by the Brazilian composer Miguel Kertzman. He's um, a contemporary Brazilian composer, born in 1965. And it's performed by the London Philharmonic Orchestra under Dennis Russell Davis. Now, the works on this disc are um, the Concerto Brasileiro for Flute, Strings and Percussion, Concerto for Violin, Horn, Shofar and Orchestra, Journey for Bassoon and Orchestra and the Chamber Symphony Number no. 2, New York of 50 Doors. Now, it's a fascinating disc. It's a real melting pot of, um, of repertoire. Kertzman's um, style is very, very varied. He plunges everything into his music from jazz to world music influences. Um, it's sometimes atonal, but it's never inaccessible. Um, and this disc has grown and grown on me. I'm a big fan of Dan Dennis Russell Davis's anyway. And the London Philharmonic Orchestra on top form here. There's two works here which particularly stick out for me. I love the Chamber Symphony Number no. 2, New York of 50 Doors, which has a real jazzy element. It's actually quite funky. And then um, the piece we're going to hear a little bit now is the Concerto for Violin, Horn, Shofar and Orchestra... I thought it might be a little bit kind of kind of pretentious when I saw this lineup but it's extraordinarily eerie and moving as you'll hear now So far, so good, as Sean Connery might have said. That was Kurtzman's <laughs> Concerto for Violin, Horn, Shofar and Orchestra on the Naxos label. And finally, Freya, what is your choice of this month's disc? 
Um, well, I have no great puns to offer, but I have the debut disc from Matilda Lloyd. She's a trumpeter who you might remember from the brass final of BBC Young Musician in 2014. Um, and her new disc is called Direct Message, 20th and 21st Century Works for Trumpet and Piano. And she's playing alongside pianist John Reed. Um, and it's really unusual discs. It's some, there's some well-established pieces from the trumpet repertoire that people will probably recognise. And then some complete newbies written by very young, worryingly young composers. It's making me feel old. Um, one of them, Deborah Pritchard, was born in 1997. Good Lord. So that's, that's one to really enhance our egos today. It's not the easiest disc to listen to in a similar way to Igor Life. It's it's not a wind-down disc, but it's a really engaging listen. Um, and she's got an amazing control. And we're going to listen to the title track, which is Alex Wolf's Direct Message. Matilda Lloyd on the trumpet with pianist John Reed performing Alex Wolfe's direct message on Matilda Lloyd's debut disc. And that rounds off our December issue podcast. We will be back next month when three members of the BBC Music Magazine team discuss our Christmas issue. We look forward to seeing you then. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from all of us. Goodbye. Bye-bye. The BBC Music Magazine podcast.